boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, The hardest hitting podcast in pro wrestling, the Total B-She's Show. We're breaking news. We're talking to people. We're talking about serious stuff for the first time ever. That Scotty Mack interview last week where he talked about basically losing his wrestling company over something he didn't do. That was hard hitting. We got a lot of feedback on that interview and I felt bad for Scotty, but I appreciated him coming on and being so honest and candid with us about what happened in Vancouver at ECCW with his partner and, and that whole thing. And I know you really liked it. I I'm friends with Scotty and I have to admit that, but as somebody who's not friends with Scotty, I, producer Chris, I, what did you think? I liked it. I liked the interview. I was a little bit trepidatious about it. In the, what does trepidatious mean? Cautious. Okay. I was a little bit cautious to start with because of the topic. It's a hot topic. It's a hotly debated topic. And, you know, you can get swept up in these things pretty easily. He, I felt, handled himself very well. Told, yep. told the story from his perspective, did not cast blame. Yeah. I liked the interview. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. And we did get quite a bit of heat in the uh, in the old days. I wouldn't call it heat. I, I'll call it feedback. The one feedback, thing, yeah. if I had been him, the one thing I might have done differently is I would have reached out to the victims and said, you know, I'm sorry that, that my partner did this. I, I'm, I had nothing to do with it, but I want to make sure you're okay. I get why he didn't know. No, I understand it. And he explained it very well. Because you can get swept up in that. Like I said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As soon as you- T- today we've got a great guest, uh, my collaborator, the guy, that, the secret to my greatest success was not Jeff Dick's money. I've got to be honest. The way this, the roster got assembled at WFX in 2010 we're going to go into that one pretty deeply with the guy who actually was in charge of laying out TV and handling all of the creative and laying the foundation for why that thing works so well. I get the feeling that he was the straw that stirred the drink. <laughs> you always give Shell Cross credit. You you give everyone else credit but me. You give yourself too much, so I got to bring you down. I heard something that you went around town and someone said, hey, the Tobishi show is real good. And you, you were like, yeah, I'm doing all the work. Mike's okay, but I do all the work. Did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely did not do so that. Liam, I do do all the work. Liam though. Phillips is coming on the show today. We're going to talk about how we assembled that roster. And I, I have to tell everyone this. We're trying to grow the YouTube channel. The Total BSG yes. Show is the channel. Please subscribe to it. There are 13 episodes of WFX Wrestling that you need to watch because it is some of the best written wrestling I've ever seen with a crew that you won't believe. We're talking about the best of the best, and Liam and I are going to talk about that a lot today. Um, but that's, like, I'm so excited to have Liam on. We, we meant to do this months ago. Well, you mentioned, too, that you've come across some gems that you're hoping to get up on the YouTube uh, last week. Yeah, and that's actually why next week, Mecca Shane's in studio, and we're going to talk about Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger, and our unique experiences with those two guys and their characters, let me tell you. Um, so Mecca Shane's going to come on. And the reason for that is because we've got that two-hour shoot interview that never got released in 2005, where Total Package Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell join us. And, they're, and they, they're honest. They talk about Ric Flair. They talk about Hulk Hogan. They talk about Eric Bischoff. They talk about why Buff didn't make it in WWE and how the deck might have been stacked against him. It's amazing because in 2005, when they did that interview, I thought that they were kind of taking care of themselves a little bit and making themselves look good. When I watch the interview now, I think they were being honest, but people are going to get a chance to see it for free on YouTube. All we ask is you subscribe to the channel, The Total She Show. And there's another thing we're going to be releasing on there that everybody wants to see. The Ultimo Dragon Kenny Omega match, the first one of their career from Winnipeg in September of 2007. So the YouTube channel is going to get pretty good, but uh, you know, we're doing some good stuff here. We don't, we're never going to have a Patreon. I, I'll no. tell you that right now. And when Superfan Dan, not mistaken with Dave Cote, used to send us $5 on our PayPal, I got kind of, it felt uneasy. Like, why are you sending us money, right? We yeah. don't sell you shirts yet, or if we ever do. We, there's nothing where we want you to send us money for us entertaining you. As much as I love it, if you, people want to send donations, I just, it doesn't feel as easy. Do something easy for us. Give us a five-star review on the podcast. Um, share it with people on your social media and subscribe to the YouTube channel so that we can, we can grow it through advertising off of there yes. as opposed to anything else. Yeah. We would like to take the money from the advertising and not from you. Yeah. So let's, I, let's I do want, it that way. I want our content to always be free. 
accessible, funny, entertaining, and good. That's all. Speaking of accessible, we have Liam coming up right away. And this is going to be a good one, Mike. I, I can tell already. I met this guy. Good guy. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. He's one of the most patient guys I know. Liam Phillips is amazing. He's going to be on after the break. But before we go to break, let's talk about the main event Munchie trivia. And here's how you're going to win. Do we have any more to give away? Uh, yes, I saw you're you, the prize guy. I, I saw you eating them. Stop saying that. I saw, I saw you going to town. Stop that. And you're going to send a message to Jay Ganya <laughs> and you're going to tell him you're messing around. I will. Because yeah. he will not take well to me eating the inventory. Eating the prizes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's the scoop. Here's how you win. You can go to the Total Bishis on Facebook. Just search Total Bishis and there will be the question will be asked and you can leave the question in or the answer in the comments or you can Email us at totalbshees at gmail.com with your answer, and we'll announce the winner next week. Last week's winner was Andy, and I and I know who Andy is. Uh, Mecca Shane and I call him La Rock. He's a He goes to a lot of wrestling shows, and he knew that it was Jesse Ventura, who wasn't a member of the Heenan family. The question today is, Hacksaw Duggan won the first ever Royal Rumble. Now, I know it's a month past Royal Rumble season, but Hulk Hogan won the third. Mm-hmm. Who won the second? Oh, that's good. I don't even know that one. I do. Uh, of course you do. And the winner of a bag of main event munchies will know yeah, well, it's not gonna who, be the, this who won the second. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total B She Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code Bees She's. Again, the code is B E E Z S H E E Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. It's long been said that Mike Davidson's a control freak. Chris, producer Chris swears by that that adage. Um, something I did in 2009 and 2010 when I was given the ball to build a company called WFX Wrestling was I decided I would have too much work on my plate to be the sole booker that I hired somebody for the first time ever from 2001 to 2010 I hired somebody who was going to do, take on a majority of the creative work. That guy was Liam Phillips, and that's our guest here tonight on the Total B She Show. Liam, I don't think I've seen you in about, it's got to be, it could be 13 years. I think it's 13 years. Oh, my word. Wow. Like, there was a point where you disappeared where I, I know you work for the government. Yeah. And I was like, he's doing top, se- top secret work for the government because I couldn't find you on LinkedIn. Can't find you on Facebook. And then all of a sudden we start this podcast and I get a message and it's Liam Phillips. Uh, it's wonderful to have you in studio and boy, are we going to go down memory lane tonight? Yeah. It's going to be a good time guys. Yes. Not a lot of people got a chance to know you other than guys that worked in the locker room. And one thing that they were always surprised about was here's a guy who had been around local wrestling, but not in local wrestling. And all of a sudden he ends up as the, the lead creative force and you had such a vision and you, and you were able to communicate it and you were able to sort of draw out the most from people. What was your approach and why did it work? Well, that's a loaded question. Every question. So giving me a lot of credit there. Uh, it's I'm honest. not sure I deserve it all, but, um, so I intentionally stayed out of the local scene because I didn't feel that I was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had respect for all the, the work and the sacrifice that everyone does. Um, leading up to my time with WFX, I had done, work with documentaries and uh, TV hits and featuring your promotions from time to time, which often coincided with shop pay-per-view. So it was an easy sell for me, but um, I always stayed on the periphery. And then at Tim Hortons, that's where we hashed everything out on multiple coffee trips. But uh, I don't know. How was I able to get things out of people? I think I just show them respect, talk to them as a human being it helps that I'm not inside the local business because I don't have baggage with other people. Oh yeah. And I'm coming at it from more of a professional standpoint where I'm hiring you for a TV show, not to work a match. Yeah. The match is the least of my concerns, Yeah, which might be something that some people don't want to hear. Yeah. But 
in reality, when you're talking about a television show and you call it a wrestling show, that's a television show about wrestling. And you've alluded to this in prior podcasts that not everyone gets that. A live show, like a, a house show or what have you, or just a typical local show is not the same as a television show. Completely different infrastructure, dynamics, everything. And the goal from my uh, standpoint was make the best content possible. And we did a lot of that in WFX by getting the most out of the least talent. And that's not a slight to the talent. We didn't have the size of a roster that WWE had. Or the budget. Yeah. That was the biggest thing. We had to make whatever decisions we made, we had to make them hit. Yep. One of the things that we did when we put that roster together was we knew partly because of economics and partly because of Jeff Dick's relationship to Danny Duggan's CWE, that we had to, we had to incorporate the locals and feature them whether we wanted to or not, it had to be done. And I wanted to, in some Mm. cases, and and you, I remember one time telling you, okay, our tag team division is going to be built around Kevin Chevy and AJ Sanchez. And you did a very good job with that. And, and then you identified Mentolo would be a, a force. And we, the whole idea was supposed to be that we would use all of this big name fly in talent, former WWE guys to establish the company. And then in year two, when they all wanted raises from their initial money, we would start phasing some of them out and, and lean on those local guys. How did you find it with, with the former WWE guys? How did they respond to you? And then how did the local guys, like the, the guys from Winnipeg? Maybe the opposite of what someone would expect. Yeah. I had the easiest time with the biggest names. Absolutely. And some of the most, no, I wouldn't call it friction because I don't think I dealt with the friction firsthand. I think most of the friction went through you. Oh, yeah. But, um, again, people weren't sure how exactly to react to me at times. So as opposed to if they had a problem with something, they wouldn't really say it to me. They'd more bring it up to you. Mm-hmm. And we had some problems with some local talent being resistant to turning heel for whatever reason they had. And I respected where they were coming from, but at the same time, they're not seeing the bigger picture. So what do you care more about? A handful of local shows where you're still a baby face to random crowds, or are you joining a television show that's going to be marketed across the country, across the continent? Yeah. And it's going to increase your, your brand. It's going to get your name out there. And we're going to do something interesting that you can put it on demo reel. Yeah. And that's something that like we can get to in a little bit, but look how many people... Once WFX's doors closed, look how many people got opportunities that weren't there for them before. And, and I'm talking even big names yeah. like Victor from The Ascension. Yeah. He was established in Canada, out in the West, then came to WFX. And I was recently watching a few episodes just in pre- preparation for this. And it dawned on me how often I featured him in a high profile. Mm-hmm. And that was the thinking. We're just jumping right into this. Yeah, go right yeah. into it. The Brotherhood. Yeah. Okay, so if people aren't familiar, the Brotherhood was a group of, call them vampires, call them whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see them that way. That's it, It's been done a million times. It's been done to death. But we can still utilize the popularity of vampires, but instead change it up a little bit. And so growing up in the 80s, I saw these vampire movies and you've got the stereotypical ones. Then you've got ones where you think that's a vampire, but you're not really sure. And I was always more intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shades of gray. And so that's what we did with them. Gangrel, no brainer. I'd already had great experiences interviewing him backstage at your yeah. uh, shows before. Got a great Gangrel story for down the road with that one too. Um, I think the world of him, but get him. Then all of a sudden we have Kevin Thorne fall in our laps. Well, it wasn't really fell in the line in our laps. It was actually Billy Gunn said when he did his deal with us that we had to bring in Kevin Thorne. Great recommendation. Yeah. I know he drew, drove you up the wall many times <laughs> and I was there to witness it. Yes. I had Kevin Thorne's back a hundred percent. Yes. You, um, you were a big proponent of his. Unbeknownst to you, Thorne and I were actually, we talk a lot in between shows yep. on the phone and he talks a lot. Yeah. And they would be three to four hour phone oh. conversations, but we were, we'd be getting into everything. And so as the booker and writer, I really wanted to get into the heads of these guys so that when I'm giving them lines, it doesn't just sound like rehearsed lines, like here's Ricochet backstage saying his lines and then waiting for the other person to say their lines. And I wanted it to be more conversational and real. And that's what I think we were successful in doing at times 
was bringing in more of a sense of realism into wrestling. And so with the, the brotherhood, I really wanted to get to know who Kevin Thorne was. He's a very deep guy. Mm -hmm. And the more you talk to him, he's been through some stuff. And so I like to leverage that and it might be uncomfortable territory for some people. And I back off if that's the case, but with him, he'd been through all kinds of different things backstage, not at WFX, but in his days at WWE, things had happened to him. And he opened up to me about a lot of things. And I said, so what do you want to do about that? Why don't we use that as something feeding your character? Mm -hmm. Right. And I had that conversation with several different people like Charlie Haas. Oh yeah. A great guy. Yeah. But, um, with he's going through a hell of a time now. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I talked to him a couple days ago. Sad to hear about. Yeah. But uh, with the brotherhood, I saw it as an opportunity of the future or the past, present, and future. Gangrel, Kevin Thorne, we need a third member. And so that was an, an opportunity for us to build a new name like APOC. And he was featured so heavily with that group. And he got the rub from being around the Gangrel, who I didn't want to do very much. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to feature him in a lot of matches. I wanted him to be more of a godfather figure where when he does something, it matters. Mm -hmm. He's going to be the heavy who stands in the background, bears his fangs, looks like Angrel, and every now and then, sort of like Jake the Snake, all you're waiting for is that DDT. Yeah. And that's all he would do. He would come in and just stomp, 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 DDT, everyone's happy. Thorne gets to walk around being the brooding presence of, you know, the next godfather in line. Mm -hmm. And Apoc, he was a, he was, he could do anything you wanted him to. And he had a great um, willingness to help out. So, I mean, we could do a whole episode on the Brotherhood themselves. Yeah. But that's a great example of having someone who's established like Gangrel, someone who's on the up and up like Thorn, and brings huge value. And then someone like Apoc. And right after WFX was done, and we had featured Apoc on almost every single episode doing something significant, all of a sudden WWE shows Yeah, he gets his developmental deal. Um what about Eric Cannon and Darren Corbin? Love it. Okay. <laughs> Eric Cannon is one of my favorite people that we had. Yeah. I considered him our Swiss Army knife. You can, again, use him in any role. Yeah, any he's an comedy, amazing talent. Not a lot of people can do comedy. Uh, go back and watch episodes four, five, or six. Yeah. In fact, watch them in that order because uh, that was a taping. They're on YouTube. You can check it out on the Total Beach. I would highly YouTube recommend channel. if you haven't watched WFX programming before. Sure, go watch the first three episodes. It's the introduction. The turning point for where things start to really get rolling is episodes four, five, six. And Eric Cannon's going backstage trying to, you know, wrangle some people to attend Bushwhacker Luke's funeral. Yes. And the work he does in all of his scenes, especially with Larry Zbysko. Yeah. He brings comedy chops that not many other people have that are natural. Yeah. And he's a natural. You need him to play serious? He's serious several times, mm -hmm. but like great guy and, um, unreal timing. That's the, what, what struck natural. me. Yeah. Just like timing that is well beyond his you know, scope for somebody who's yeah. just a wrestler, like the timing of a, a comedic actor. But the sleeper on that is Darren Corbin exactly. who, who doesn't say a word, but reinforces all of Cannon's hilariousness. Yeah. It was like a comedy act. Yeah. Like, like old school comedy. Act. Like they must have the whole, cause they drove in together eight hours. Yeah. They must've been just in the car working on so it. So Cannon was one of the people that I reached out to and I would work with in between tapings yep. and I'd send them the scripts. Um, cause a lot of stuff happened backstage that we were filming and in between the matches, that's where the storyline happened. And as you know, they were heavy, heavy, heavy in all of our storylines. Um, they brought something different and that's what we wanted. We wanted a diverse cast we had that. Now we need to use them in the right roles and putting them in the best fit was one of our main goals was we need people who are the right fit and who have the right attitude yep. and who are easy to work with. Mm. Cannon and Corbin were awesome. And the, the other thing is they're driving in eight hours to Winnipeg from Minnesota. During that time, I thought you've got a car full of guys like Ari Davari's in that car. Sean Davari might be in that car as well. A lot of experience in that car. I'm going to make sure I get them the scripts before they hit that uh, road mm -hmm. so that they've got eight hours to prepare and rehearse. Mm -hmm. They'd show up easy day. Absolutely. And, and the Davaris were always, they always delivered too. Yeah. Larry rookie Ari Davari, who I think is one of the most underrated people in wrestling yes. today. Yeah. 
And we had him back then. And even back then, I went out of my way to make sure that he and Eric Cannon were in the main event of one of our episodes. Mm -hmm. And it was one of our best episodes. Yeah. And despite that, those two being in the main events, they fit in just as well as any other main event that we had. I, I mean, that was a rookie, Ari Davari. Yeah. Uh, Larry Zabisco. Probably my favorite guy from the entire That's what company. everyone says. Amazing guy to work yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. It sound like I'm getting myself over here, but after the shows, we would head to a nightclub, right? Yep. For the after party. Well, before the after party, you got to go back to the hotel, get changed, and have a little bit of simmer down time. And um, that's where a lot of the fun would happen. And Larry Zabisco would say, Liam, come on with me. All of a sudden, I'm being invited to Larry Zabisco's hotel room, and we're just sitting there, just shooting the shit and going through plans, going yep. through ideas. And he's giving feedback and he's open to feedback. Very, very open to feedback. But yeah, I'd go on about him forever. Too. Nobody had accomplished more in that locker room than Larry Zabisco. And he had the least amount of, like, he never big leagued anybody. Easiest he would hang out with. with the locals in the locker room. And then uh, I remember one point asking Bob Holly to ride with Larry to Minneapolis. And Bob said, well, he smokes. I don't really want to ride with him. Larry got along better with the guys who hadn't made it than the guys who had. But he got along with everybody, but he was much more in his comfort zone with young guys who were hungry to make it than, than the other way around. Um, like it, it was such, I, I always say about this, we got, we hit the lottery with everyone we, we cast. Is there anyone that we got rid of really quickly? Cause they didn't fit. Teddy Hart. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pause. Whatsoever. You know what's Boom. funny? Yeah. Cause people wonder why Sabu only came in once, but it was he because, was fine. yeah, he was good. You were very nervous about that. I, had to I really didn't think he could get across the border, but there were, there was a lot going on. Yeah. There. You and also thought that if you sent him some money, he yeah, might not there was economic reasons why I was nervous. Cause he, he kind of disrupted the payroll a little bit. Not much. He was reasonable, but also the whole, it. yeah, the whole thing was, I wasn't sure that we could get him every time, yeah. right? Like I was worried he'd no, he had had a reputation of not making his bookings. And second, there's always that rumor that he couldn't get across the Canadian border. So, but he was good, but people might think because we only used him once that that, that there was an issue. There wasn't. But That's just a matter of timing. Yeah. Teddy was, Teddy was a handful. He, he was interesting because he showed up so late to the show and during the taping, once we're going live and mm -hmm. we've got a crowd out there, um, I'm wearing many different hats during the show, yeah. right? So like I wrote the script. I've been talking to people backstage all afternoon, going through their scenes, making sure they're comfortable with it, making sure if they have got questions, we're good. Then I'm also trying to keep an eye on the matches because even though I didn't produce the matches, I care about what's happening in the match because again, our matches are there for storytelling. Mm. I need to make sure that everything's going as planned. Trying to run around all of a sudden, I remember before our first show, um, about an hour or so before the first show, we're going through everything. We've got everything. Everything's ready yet. And I said to you, we, do we have the music? Like the entrance music for all the wrestlers? And you said, no. I said, we need music. I don't know if you remember this, but it was a last minute scramble before our first show. How did we do together it? All, I sat together with one of your uh, computer guys and we just plowed through making oh. all these theme songs. Was that Dorian Preston? Don't know the name. Oh, was it a young guy who was a graphic designer? Might've been. Yeah. I think that was Dorian Preston. But yeah, we were throwing together all of those. Luckily I was friends with a local rock band yeah. who'd given me permission to use some of their music in a yeah. documentary. So I shot a quick text. Are you okay with being on a wrestling show? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it was a fun time overall, but um, there was so much going on at those shows and to keep an eye on everything that was going on, you were running all over the building. Yeah. And it was just chaotic, but at the same time, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the middle of the show, I'm running around doing all this stuff, and there's Teddy Hart with a cat. <laughs> what? Oh, and he's in like flip flops and a fur coat, and he needed to go yeah. to the store to get running shoes, right? Yeah, and he was saying, "I need, I need shoes." Yeah, and he was saying he needed someone to buy him some sneakers. Yeah, I was like, "What? What are we doing here?" Yeah, whatever. I'm too busy to deal with this. We got through the we got through the night with him. But we never, ever talked about having him back. Well, let me ask you about that because you seem like a really calm guy and maybe it's not Teddy Hart per se, quite but different from but, me, but you did yeah, quite different from Mike Davidson, but you had to handle a lot of these egos. Was there a time where you, where you, you, you let the beast out where you had to, had to get real cross with somebody or raise your voice or anything no, like that? 
But I'd had the privilege of working in television for years, working around all kinds of celebrities and you name it. Right. Like, and being around all these WWE wrestlers as well and pro athletes, MMA fighters, like, uh, I'd say the most afraid I've ever been around any talent was probably Scott Steiner. Yeah. At uh, backstage at one of your shows. Yeah. And through this podcast, I learned why he was so upset when I interviewed him. Yeah. Because I didn't know at the time. Right. The money. Exactly. Yeah. I had no idea. (laughs) I brought, I luckily had my brother at the show and uh, I had him holding a little handy cam, but he was there as my little security uh, team (laughs) just in case. Yeah. I said, you come with me. Yeah. And the whole time he's just sitting on a couch filming Scott Steiner with footage I would never use. Yeah. Because uh, I had two cameras going, and th- I only intended to use one. But Why yeah, wouldn't you use the footage? What is in the... It was just a bad camera. It was, oh. it was just there just in case. Okay. We, yeah. we had to go somewhere else in the building Yeah. because it was so noisy where the wrestling was happening. Yeah. I thought, this guy seems a little off right now. I don't know. Yeah. 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 But I've... no, never had any problems with WFX talent. But again, um, I have the experience of dealing with talent and celebrities and people like that. So it's, you know, it's another day. One name we don't talk about much on the show because I forgot about him only being on one show was Human Massacre Keith Walker. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, let's backtrack a little bit. So originally the plan was to bring in Umaga and I love having a big, heavy, a beast. Yeah, someone that the baby faces. A monster heel. Yeah. Back in the 90s, I loved Taz. He doesn't have the size, but he's got the attitude. Yeah. And you're going to, see him like a Keith Walker or Brock Lesnar, that sort of guy. When we had Keith Walker, you mentioned to me that, yeah, we might be able to get this guy. I look him up. looks very imposing. Uh, Yeah, I can, I can work with this guy. I can turn this guy into my one man crime spree here. Yeah. And so I didn't like his nickname. I can't remember what human massacre. Keith Walker. Did he have that? Yeah. Okay. Or did you give it to him? I thought we twisted something that he had. Was so he Skull Crusher? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so he, you and know. so I, I believe I came up with the Human Massacre because I was waiting to use something like that. Yeah. And I thought he's the perfect guy for it. Yeah. Only problem I had with him, very, very good and very effective when you're uh, producing him backstage. In the ring, he's on his own. And I gave him very, very strict instructions that... Because I was trying to build him into our big monster heel, possibly the world champion. Mm -hmm. And that was his trajectory. But then he gets in the ring with Bushwhacker Luke, where his job is to just annihilate Bushwhacker Luke. This is Bushwhacker Luke's first match. He'd been putting it off for weeks and weeks and weeks saying, oh, elbow sore, torn rotator cuff. Maybe I'll be ready in a few weeks or, you know, maybe in six months and maybe for a six-man tag, like the least amount he could possibly do. Yeah gets thrown into this match as a prank by Cannon and Corbin. Yep. Of course, after the way that we'd booked him, he should get killed. Plus, he's 85 years old. Yeah, but he's lying about his age and keeps claiming that he's 23. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, he was just... uh, He got in there and they had like a 50-50 match. Yeah. And I remember watching that powerless backstage thinking, what are you doing? You're killing your own angle. Yeah. You're giving him too much, like giving Luke too much offense. This should not be a back and forth fight. This was supposed to be a short, just outright slaughter. Yeah. But you know what the problem? Live up to your nickname. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And at that point, I was kind of done with the main event push. Yeah. It was political why he didn't know, because uh, Luke had had some stroke in Puerto Rico and it was kind of like, if I kill him and he gets mad about it, he might be able to take away an opportunity. Uh, and plus there was a respect factor because of who Luke was. I don't think Luke ever said, don't kill me. I don't think he would have. Yeah. I think it was just that Walker out of respect gave him too much. Uh, that's not why we got rid of him though. I'll tell the story of. Well, I know about the Japan. Boy. Yeah. So he, and cause he was the second choice. First choice was Umaga, but he passed away in December of 2009. The second choice became Bison Smith. Yes. Who was much more impressive. And not available. Yeah, not available. Because yeah. he was doing, he was main eventing in Noah as uh, Walker's tag team partner, and he was doing Puerto Rico full time. So he wasn't going to come in. I forgot about this. Yeah. So then Walker and Bison are doing tours of Japan for Noah, and they get the Noah tag team titles. So Keith Walker calls me and he says, hey, uh, you know, uh, I just want to make it clear that now that I've got the belt in 
in Japan for Noah. I can't, I can't lose. And I said, oh, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, no, I can't. And I said, why? And he said, well, they take it very serious over there. And I believe there's a certain sure. reality to that. The worst part was you didn't have him planned to lose for a very long no, time. That was so, the opposite yeah, of what I'd had planned. Yeah, so if he doesn't <laughs> impose this no job clause, he would have never been asked to do the job. And when he said that to me, and I told you right after, I said, you know, that limits us too much and we can't keep you. Because the amount we would be investing to a guy who's telling us straight out he's not going to do it if he's asked. You got to do that though. Like you, you, you got to do that. What, I have what, to let yeah, him go. Exactly. What you did was exactly the right thing. And it thing. was early enough yeah. that yeah. we could do that. And yeah. we'd been building this almost like a a body count yeah. of him destroying all these different people. Bobby Sharp, mm-hmm. Dan Myers. Oh, and the Dan Myers thing. Okay. I said that Keith Walker could be very well produced backstage. Yeah. Again, I told him what I needed from him. And I told him, you're going overboard here. Yeah. You're going to drag a guy down a hallway, find the nearest door, that one right there. Yeah. And you're going to start cranking that on his head. And so I checked with Dan Myers, of yeah. course. Who was great. Hey, one of my f- this? best friends. Absolutely. No problem. Yeah. I'm like, okay, but he's going to be basically crushing your head with a door, <laughs> trying to slam it shut. Yeah. And it looked like money. Yeah. And got, got across perfectly. So again, backstage, you can produce the hell out of him. Once he's in that ring, it's like, one you mistake, he, well. yeah, he made Luke look too good. Yeah. Um, one of the things that he was going to go on to do, you you suggested us bring in Scott Steiner to feed to him. Remember that? And then I we don't couldn't remember get, that. Okay, so this is a funny story. It actually led to gold for us. So you said he's got to beat somebody very established to We're establish building him. to that, yes. Yeah, so you said, can we get Scott Steiner? So Billy, got on, Billy Gunn got on the phone with Scott. Scott said, I'll do it. And we offer him what we could afford. And Scott said, no, I'm not coming to Canada and going through international border for that money. Um, so you're going to have to do better or so we couldn't get it done. And so like we were about a thousand dollars apart and we couldn't get there. I went up 200, but he wouldn't come down five deal falls apart. And that's when uh, Billy calls me and he said, call Bob Holly. He'll drive in. And I'm like, Bob's not going to drive. I remember this. Yes. You were not a big Bob Holly fan. No, Cause at I had the dealt time. with him a year before. And when I dealt with him a year before I had him in for a show in Winnipeg at blush, he was, he was to himself yeah. and he was just, he just wasn't very nice. Still was. Yeah. And so. Although nice. Yeah. So then Billy said, call Bob Holly. And I said, I didn't, Bob didn't like me much. And he's like, no, Bob likes you. He's, he wants to come up. He's going to drive. I said, he's not, where's he driving from? And it was like Iowa, uh, uh, Des Moines, Iowa or something. And I said, I look and I, I Google it and it's, it's 14 hours drive. Yeah, it's doable. Though. And he said, no, Bob drives fast. He doesn't Nate. And I'm like, <laughs> he's going to get, a, I'm going to, he's going to expect me to pay for the speeding ticket. But what it was is it was, he was going to drive from Des Moines to Grand Forks where his wife was in the air force there, but retired. So she was going to go visit friends. So they were going to break it up. Gotcha. So eight hours got him to Grand Forks. Then they just drove in for two hours. Either way. So he said, call Bob right now at this number. So I called Bob and I said, hi, Bob, it's Mike. And I'm very timid. I'm never timid. Hi, Mr. Hawley. Like uh, <laughs> Billy Gunn told me you might drive to Winnipeg. Yeah, I'll be there. And and I, I said, and I shouldn't talk money on this podcast because, but this is how easy it was. Billy told me, offer him what you can afford. He'll say yes. And I said, I can only afford this. And Billy said, offer it. So I call him. I, I'm thinking I'm getting set up and I'm going to say the number and he's going to rip my head off. I said, I can afford this. And he said, he said, as long as you cover my gas, you give me that, we're good. He was the, one of the most cost-effective investments we ever made. And he was gold. He was a Boy Scout backstage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely and was. And gave advice to everybody who was willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And he made himself accessible. He sat right in the middle of the hallway where everything connected. Mm-hmm. And there was a feed to the, the matches. He'd sit there and watch every single match. Mm-hmm. Um. Bob Holly, though, I remember you were iffy on him. You thought, I don't know if people are going to care. Now, I'm a big Bob Holly fan. Yeah. And, and so I was it, throughout the Attitude yeah. Era. And I knew that there's a fandom out there that exists. And I told you, they're going to go nuts when he comes out. And you, I remember a lot of skept, uh, skepticism. So I was standing right beside you when he went out on purpose. Biggest pop. Like, yeah. I was there for that moment. Myself as a fan. Yeah. Goes out, like you said, huge pop. And the reaction on your face, that was one of my favorite WFX moments because you were blown away. Yeah. And you turned to me and you said, my God, you're right. Yeah. So on that story, like we, we go through and it's amazing how it all, all clicks in. I One of the things I did with Jerry Lawler in 08 before we did TV was un- unadvertised attraction. Mm-hmm. 
And that was to train fans for, it's a big deal, but we don't have to tell you that it's, you're going to know it's a big deal when you see it. And Teddy Hart was an unadvertised attraction, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Zabisco was, and then Bob Holly was. And Bob Holly got the biggest pop of the three of them. And I remember thinking like, I don't know if Bob's going to be that big a deal because Hardcore Holly was kind of a mid-carder. But the people immediately. Yeah. And, and it was the right situation too. It was in the middle of a brotherhood beat down. Yep. We're waiting for someone to come out. They're ex- they're already trained based on the alliances that they'd seen with different wrestlers on the roster of who's going to come out. And it's none of them. It's Bob Holly. Yeah. Clears house. The entire place is just Holly. Yeah. Holly. I mean, you can watch it on WFX. Yeah. Amazing moment. And the chills even just talking about yeah, it. The other guy that got a reaction that I didn't expect, we're talking to all the big stars. We're not talking about the locals yet, um, was Charlie Haas. Yes. And how we got him was... He That's got, my number one favorite moment of yeah, WFX. Yeah, he got released and he had a non-compete. It was, everyone was talking about his non-compete. He can't, he can't wrestle until June and this is like end of March, early April. And I call him, I said, what about your non-compete? He said, no, I'm going. They, they can't make, stop me from making a living. Gets to Winnipeg. And you knew right away, cast him as a heel, cast him as, yeah. you know, you cast him. He'd been mistreated for yeah. years. Yeah. And he came in looking like a million dollars. And another guy that I had a side conversation with, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But he got here and you could tell he wanted to be here. He was hungry and he became that top heel we needed. The one that Keith Walker couldn't be, Charlie Haas filled the role and then some. Unbelievable. If I may, best version of Charlie Haas that ever existed. Oh, 100%. Prove me wrong. I think he would tell you that. When I talked to him, uh, uh, here's a great story about Charlie. He did a top talent show in Edmonton in October, November, and Bobby Sharp went up to him. And Bobby Sharp said, hey, I, I worked with you in Winnipeg. Or I th- I, maybe he didn't say I worked with you. But he said, you know, we just missed each other, I think it was, in Winnipeg for Mike Davidson. And he said, that was the best I ever did in my career. And he, like, he always believed it. He was the most heartbroken guy when Jeff couldn't keep running because of CRA because he was like, he was invested. Like yes. he used to say he was the guy, him and uh, Kevin Thorne were the ones that set the rule that they were going to double up in rooms, that no one was going to have their own room except for Bob Holly and Larry Zabisco. And I think fair play got his own room. Yeah. Um, but it was like, you're going to two to a room. We're going to, we're going to manage the costs for the, for the office so that the office has more money so that they, they can invest in bringing in more talent. He would, fly to Fargo because it was a cheaper flight from Dallas, rent his own car and drive up. So we didn't Boy. even have to send Cole to go pick him up. He, it was like his wife had a child and we had him flying in on the Thursday. And he said, I've changed my flight to Friday morning because she's either going to have the baby Thursday, Friday or Saturday or, or Saturday. If she has it Friday, I'm missing it. Cause I'm not missing the show, but I'm going to stay an extra day at home. He, he stayed at home till Friday morning, got on the plane, got to TV in time. That's how invested he wow. was. Wow. And it was like, and we talk about that. It was unbelievable. I, I, I When re- he walks out, and I don't know, I think that might be episode four. That's the turning point for everything. Yeah. Was Charlie Haas showing up on scene, unexpected. He had just been released. Last person that anyone's expecting him to see or expecting to see Billy Gunn's in the middle of the ring doing a promo with Shane Madison, talking about why he's there. Charlie Haas comes out, huge crowd reaction, gets on the mic and starts building up high, uh, Kip, mm-hmm. saying, look, you've done this and this and this, and then flips the script on him. Instant crowd reaction. Everyone's like, whoa, because he started dropping some bombs. Yep, and instant. And I told him, backstage, I said, this is a new opportunity for you. I don't see you the same way that I've seen you on TV. I think you've got a lot more to give. And this is where we're going to do it. So if you're here for the right reasons, we're going to make some magic. I want you to take everything that's bottled up inside of you because you could see it in him. And I'd seen the way he'd been treated for years. And I thought, how can he feel after that? Yeah. And like, they just completely buried him. Uh, And that was for like two years before he was released finally. But anyway, so I said, take everything you've got. You're going to target one person on the roster to take all of that out on and blame, even though that it's not their fault, you're still going to blame them. That's you. You're going to be that disgruntled, vicious, just something un- to prove. Yeah. And, and you want to go out there and make your point that this is my time and people have stolen all of my best years away from me. 
I don't care what you want to do, Kip. This is my time. You're in my way, and I'm going to knock you out. Yep. And I'm going to get you out of my way. And he was the perfect main eventer. I don't think anyone saw him that way coming in. No. And then once he arrived, yeah, instant main event. And it made it real. His conflict with Billy, you could believe. Because you got you got to have this element of conflict and hatred to sell to fans. And credibility. Yeah. And he was a credible wrestler. Every, he was part of the world's greatest tag team. Yeah. And it was no joke. And everything he did in front of the people was what he believed. So he just portrayed what he believed. And that led to Michael Elgin being better. Yeah. Everyone around that, that's what the thing about the magic of that roster was. They, everybody made somebody else better. In the back, you could see it with Dinsmore and Gangrel and, and Billy and Charlie. And everybody helped somebody. Everybody helped Jesse Goddard, who was greener than grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're running short on time today. So this is going to be the first of many visits you're going to make <laughs> in the studio. Because I can tell Chris, Absolutely. Chris is going to tell me, hey, we're running out of time. So we've laid out a lot of the roster. Here's some guys we didn't talk about that we'll talk about in one of our next episodes, or one of our next Kenny visits. Omega. Can we talk about that sometime? Oh, <laughs> I hate, we, I call him Mike Von Eric personally, because he's- we, we can go to it right now. You're going to make time I'll, for I'll this? I'll make time for this. Go, go, if you want to do it, Kenny Omega. It, 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 it's not a big story. It's just, I kept bugging, harassing Mike. And I was like, I, I can't get him. Week after week after week. And no, oh, he doesn't want to work with me. And I said, yeah, I'm on good terms with him. So he doesn't have to work with you. So let's just do, uh, he's going to say no. He's going to say no. Did he no. say no or did we not I ask? don't think you asked. I didn't ask. No. I, okay, so I've never, I've glanced at what it is. I knew he did not want to work with me. And it was because of the fallout with me and Andrew from years earlier. And I've never, I have never understood what the issue was with Kenny, except that we stopped liking each other. That's all that happened. It's not. But this is business. And it, so from my perspective, yep. this is a TV show. Kenny's smart guy. He's a smart enough guy to see the business is on the table and that we can separate, you know, Mike's doing his thing yep. over there running the business and I'm here running the book. Yep. So we can do it. And that's just my attitude too. Like, I just didn't just think he ahead. would do it. I should have just let you call him. Per- think perhaps, of what that tape would be worth now. Perhaps he didn't see it at the time, though. This is a much younger Kenny Omega. Perhaps he didn't. Oh have, no, we I all was knew on very good we, terms with yeah. Kenny at the time. Like, okay, so he he had the vision. He just we all knew that you just Omega, didn't think he was going to do business. I didn't think he had to do business with us at that time because right. he was in with Ring of Honor around that time. He was doing the stuff with Danny, and he was traveling, and he was just starting to make it in Japan. I didn't think he was going to do it. Like I maybe. Come, well, who else did you want to talk about though? Let's get to that though. right now. Oh, well, we're not going to go to all those people, but fair play, Godders. Okay, fair play and Godders, let's stop right there. Yeah. First to arrive, last to leave, most professional, possibly out of everybody. Now, the reputation, that's Johnny's reputation, right? He's done some things in the past. He has a past, but... Loves wrestling, and it was clear. All character. Yeah. He was one of the very first heels on TV, period. He was the first villain on reality TV, Period. Yeah. Like you can say Richard Hatch from Survivor. That wasn't really like a a, a clear cut villain. He was villain esque. Johnny Fairplay went out of his way to drop wrestling taglines and catchphrases in every single episode of Survivor. And I was a big Survivor fan, yeah. so I caught my attention right off the bat. Also, a funny guy knows how to sell himself. Can cut a promo. He stood out on TV. And I knew the wrestling connection was there. And as soon as I saw him on TNA, things like that, I thought, wow, now we're doing WFX. Let's get Johnny Fairplay. Yeah, you were the one who... I can do so much with that guy. Yeah. He's our Jimmy Hart. And he's willing to take bumps. And I probably had more phone calls probably every two or three days with him. Yeah. We are planning everything out. So professional. Most rehearsed person when he would show up for any taping. Most loved by the money man too. Jeff Dick loved Johnny Fairplay more than anybody. I see it. Yeah. Like again, like he knows how to play a heel. And Jesse, oh my God, he played a great heel on uh, Big Brother. Yeah. A uh, very unlikable, arrogant bodybuilder guy. Complete opposite in real life. One of the nicest Humble. sweethearts yep. that you'll ever find. Except period. for if he's hungry. You ever deal with him when he couldn't find food? Um one funny Johnny Fairplay story, and then and then we'll call it there for tonight. I got a question for Liam though. Before, okay, before I'll tell the Fairplay story. Yeah, tell the Fairplay. So we're in December of two thousand nine. You and I have decided we're, we're starting to put together the roster, and I tell Jeff Dick that Johnny Fairplay is coming in, and Jeff Dick is excited because he loves reality TV. 
John, and Danny's in the office because he's running CWE, which is also being invested yep. by, by uh, Jeff. And Danny looks at me and he's like, why would you waste your time with Johnny Fairplay? He was, he, he was a failure in TNA. He started on this. Yeah. And so I said, well, you know, we've got a, we've got a tie in. And I said, it's a big, it's a big part of a story that Liam's already put together. And he's like, oh. He's like, you could get so much more. You could get 10 locals for the price you're paying Johnny and you'll get more out of it. They don't have the exposure Ex- or the name value or, that he has of being on the number one show on all of television. Or the passion or the drive or the, he's going to get into Winnipeg and he, because he, this was his next opportunity in the business. He took it more valuable than anybody. Yeah. And, and it was. And sorry, but he'd already had the rub from working exclusively with Dixie Carter, AJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett. Yep. Yeah, he and he 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 brought it. Danny later would agree that Johnny was a great hire, but in the first day after when we were excited we got Johnny, he was thinking we were marks. And boy was he wrong because Johnny was one of the best hires we made. Heat magnet. Yeah. What's your question? Okay, so what is the uh, easiest and most difficult part of working with Mike Davidson? <laughs> And feel free to shoot from the Okay, hip. so I have a different perspective because working with Mike, he's a valuable guy. Mm-hmm. And the company that he was working for, which was overseeing WFX and multiple other companies, was becoming very taxing on Mike's time. And so... He's given you... In order for me to... He's given it to you. He's given you a lot of, lot of leeway. In order for me to do my job well, writing the show, because um, we were filming once every three weeks, we'd film three episodes all at once... I need to know who's going to be there. <laughs> and the time between finding out and the start of the show started to get shorter and shorter and shorter to yep. the point where it was like days. It was the Friday before the Friday. Yeah. And I just didn't have enough time. And I mean, there's multiple, multiple reasons why I ended yep. up leaving, but um, that I'd say is the, the downside. Now I know Mike has, you know, issues with other people. That's with other people, not yep. with me there was always a mutual respect between myself and Mike because prior to WFX, we were dealing with each other in a professional circumstance where I'm working for a television station and giving his company's coverage. Right. um, Where it was just very, you know, above board, everything was just professional. And so I I feel like I was got some sort of level of respect from you. Maybe other people wouldn't. Um, Best part of working with Mike, I don't know, he's an easy guy. Yeah. I feel like we'd get into an argument right now <laughs> and I wouldn't have any ill feelings towards you whatsoever. Yeah. We can have differences of opinion. And I don't think I don't take that personally. Yeah. I don't take it personally when somebody says Mike can't do something or Mike had a flawed vision. I actually like that because I learned from that. Yeah, you've got a thick yeah. skin. Yeah. Like a very on. thick skin and passion and vision. And some people might not like me saying any of this, but I don't really care. Yeah. Mike, in many ways, was a visionary, but you can't do it all by yourself. True. And he knows that and recognizes that. And I think that's something that he does need to get credit for, is that he doesn't just take all the credit. And he didn't just say, I'm the only one who's going to do this. He brings in the right people. And it becomes a team. And I definitely felt like it was you yeah. know, a team when I was working with Mike. There and you that we go. We were kind of like on equal uh, terms at all times, even when we were arguing about things. Yeah, so... Here's how the highest esteem I hold you in is you resign, not fired. He, he resigned. I found out. Yeah. Who, the names that we looked at to replace you weren't, well, Danny's booking. So Danny can move up into a booker role. It wasn't, oh, this local can come and book. It was Bruce Pritchard. We talked to the week after Dutch Mantel, Scott Demore and I were on the phone. It was all people of major league booking experience that we looked at as the potential. I was talking to guys in the locker room. Liam's gone. Okay, is he going to come back? Well, it's hard to say. You know, Jeff's going to have to sign off on whatever. But I said, like, and I remember going to Bob Hawley, and I said, Bruce Pritchard. He said, no, don't, not Bruce. What about Dutch? Uh, Dutch isn't bad. And then there, a lot of people were like, well, why don't you do it with Luke? Because Luke wanted to do it. We couldn't get to the consens- consensus or comfortable point, and I didn't want to do it for long. But I also didn't want to give it to somebody who was going to not not harvest what we had started to grow. It was a it was a tough, but the best of the best to replace you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't. Oh well, anybody can do this. It was like there was a list, and I talked. to, I remember that's when Bruce and I first started talking. Then we talked again in fourteen about a, a project, and like I wanted Bruce, but the guys didn't want Bruce. Then I wanted Dutch, but the guys were iffy on Dutch. 
Scott Demore almost became the consensus choice, but Scott, it just didn't, we just couldn't get a deal. And I was in no hurry to have to have the deal done. The longer I took to do it, the more chance it could be you coming back. So, but that's, yeah, we, we, I talked to the best of the best after, and we were going to spend the, the money to try to get one of the well, best. I may, I may have made your, uh, your decision hard there because I mean, we had layers upon layers upon layers of character yeah. uh, development and storylines. And I mean, I had up to 30 uh, episodes loosely scripted Yeah, and I would send you little bits at a time because yeah. I wasn't going to just send you everything and things could change at any moment. <laughs> yeah. You didn't want to send the playbook. Hey eh, coach. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but even then uh, when I did leave, I still made sure that you had enough uh, scripts to cover the taping. Yeah. And I know that some things got changed after the fact, but uh, you still, you know, it, you could slide into that. Yeah. One last one funny taping. story. Sure. July 24th of 2010, I got fired because I fired off an email to Jeff Dick saying, if you don't like it, fire me. Right. You fuck your call. <laughs> fees your corporate culture. I'm not putting up with this shit. But, but, but. It was the worst email ever. He fired me because he had to. And then I said, well, you better call. And I gave him a list of people he better call. And he was like, I think I could do the booking. And Johnny Fairplay, he, he had this committee. He called everyone on the roster and told them they could book. Everyone's calling me and they said, yeah, I've been added to the booking committee. I was like, is there anybody other than Billy Gunn and I who haven't been added to the booking committee? Is Billy fired too? And, and yeah, he called Johnny, Luke, Charlie. Uh, Bob Hawley called me because he got the call, but he said, I'm not doing it. Mike's doing a good job. I'm no, I don't want to do it. But like, I think Dave might, the Gangrel might've got a call. Everyone on the roster got a call saying you're going to be part of a committee. So what are you going to have? You're going to have everybody booking their own stuff. It's going to be a disaster. It's WCW yeah, at its worst. It was, it was a, that would have been nightmare. amazing to see the car crash. Yeah. So I would have come back just to watch. So we laid the foundation of why there was success there. I think the next time you come, we're going to talk more about the locals and what, what they did For well. For sure. Because Chevy and Sanchez were the best tag team in the business. At that I've time. got a lot to say about the locals. Excellent. And we're going to talk about how, like, how the whole company fell, imploded. Like it was incredible. And that'll be like- And how it built. Yeah. So in a couple of weeks, we'll get you back and we'll, and it'll, it'll take about three or four visits. So hopefully you can make time for us every two or three weeks. And by the way, Liam, I still have trouble finding out what we're doing each show. Uh, it's, it, it literally comes down to like 20 minutes before I'll get a text. Hey pal. We're gonna he do doesn't this. even get that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes so. I sit down and I'm like writing on my notepad. Okay, we'll talk about this. We'll uh, talk so about we're that. gonna. We're, I'm gonna have to get some notes from you off the air. I yeah. Think. Well, you know what? You guys have been doing a great job so far. It's my favorite podcast to listen to. Not just because I'm sitting here looking at you guys, but uh, it's a joy to listen to Mike. He's got stories for life. Yeah. And uh, Chris does such a, an amazing un unceremonious job of being a producer for this show. And, uh, we don't I make think it he does easy. a great job with everything he does and the way he handles you and the way he, <laughs> he he's a quick, uh, quick witted guy over here. Thank you. The total B she's show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the total B she's show on Twitter at total B she's on Instagram at total B she's or search us on Facebook. Total B she's. This is Mr. Beefy Goodness, Best Nevada, the author of Uncontrolled Chaos, Canada's Remarkable Professional Wrestling Legacy, on sale now. And you're listening to Bees, She's Wrestling. And now it's time for the Mary Brown's Mailbag. Mary Brown's Chicken, Crave Delicious. Who has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's Chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's Chicken. And who only uses Manitoba-grown potatoes hand-cut in-store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money-saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's Chicken. Crave delicious. Mike, before we dig into these hot, tasty, crispy, delicious questions... Speaking of hot, tasty, crispy, and delicious, have you been to Mary Brown's lately? Have you tried something new? Because you always go on Big Mary Monday. I know you do. Have you tried anything new yet? I am a notorious tightwad, and the discount on Mondays when you use your receipt and you do this and you do the survey, you go back on Discount Monday. I think it's five dollars for Big Mary Monday. Yeah, and then you take the discount with the receipt. But anyway, yeah, if you don't go to Big uh, to, to to Mary Brown's on Monday for Big, you're losing money. I go every you're single losing Monday. Money. You don't yeah. want to lose money on this, do you? So I only go Mondays. So I'm sorry, I get Big Mary every time. All right, let's do this. Uh, the Mary Brown's mailbag this week. This one coming in from Shell. 
C H E L L E. Who? Shell. I'm. It's either probably Mich- short for Michelle. Michelle or Michelle. Perhaps. Why do we I, care so much about the name? I don't know. Oh, I love. I love the listener because we get the weird names. I if guess. it's Michelle, great. If it's Shell, great. All right, good enough. Yeah. Um, what's Tony's greatest? Uh, Are we talking? Sorry, Tony. Who? Tony. Uh, Tony Candelo. Okay. Um, Eh. This, is, this is okay. I'm. This is worded really weird. I'll go with this. So, uh, your favorite Tony Candelo story? Eh. What's Steph. your favorite Tony Candelo story? That's a that's a good one. Um, it's actually not wrestling related so much. So Tony and I, I, I look up to Tony a lot, as people know. I think he transcends wrestling, anyways. And um, so about 10, 12, 15, No, it was before WFX, two thousand eight. I would say. I was looking at doing some wrestling shows for remote Northern communities, Indian reserves. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I wanted to do it differently. And I had a sponsor that wanted to do it and word kind of got around, but I wasn't that serious about it. I was just like looking into it and Tony found out and Tony has an annual winter roads tour called the Northern tour. Um, And so I get this call from Tony and he's like, Hey, I'm at the pony corral, get down, have a coffee. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, go down, visit with Tony. So I come down and he's like, uh, hey, uh, some guy called me and he wants to beat you up. And I'm like, why? I don't know, but he wants to beat you. I talked him out of it. He's not going to beat you up. I did you a favor, but now you got to do me a favor. And you you can't run, you can't run. You watch the towns you want to run because yeah. I might run them. And I'm like, what guy wants to beat me up? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, it was him, Tony, please, please fill in the blanks for me. I have not pissed off anybody. There's a guy who says you're doing things that he doesn't like. He's going to beat you up. And he's trying to give me a veiled threat without threatening me. That yeah. If I run these shows, but he's, he's going to get you beaten up. But he's not, he's not coming out and saying it, right? No, it's somebody else. Yeah. Somebody yeah. else. And he talked them out of it. And I left not feeling endangered. And I still was looking into doing those shows and we left shaking hands, but I found it after that he called somebody else. He said, I, I passed the message and he's not going to run the shows. And I was like, I didn't get the message. Like, <laughs> we didn't talk about this. We talked about some imaginary guy that wanted to beat me up. Did that affect you from running shows? I didn't do them because it wasn't feasible and I understood it. He found it disrespectful, but yeah, so that was that. And, he, and then it kind of left with, uh, if you're going to do those shows, just call me. So we don't do it at the same time. Right. And I, what show was Tony? Like he that's would not, not so, that's so, so bad. At least yeah. you kind of, that's my favorite Tony. I've got an, other Tony stories that are pretty funny, but that that's right up there. Um, he's told his own funny stories when he was on the show. Yeah. Uh, Tell me your story. Though. My Tony story is uh, I almost got beaten up by Tony. I think, I don't know. Uh, this was at the pony corral again on grant <laughs> and it was before a bomber game. You remember a couple of years ago, I think they still do this. They had the buses from the pony corral, yeah, the pony express. And basically, you got a heck of a deal. You ended up getting $5 beers if you took the pony bus. So I drank a, like five beers. And I decided I was going to go in the VLT lounge and drop some money. And I went up to this Lucky Larry Lobster Machine, which is Tony's <laughs> favorite, I guess. And I, I guess he'd left to go get a, have a smoke. And he left money in the machine. Okay. He just walked away. So by, I didn't realize that it was, <laughs> it was an open machine, right? I, I pop in 20 bucks. And I, I start spinning and I, and I'm, I pull out 80 bucks. I'm like, right oh, on. no. I'm right on. He's, he comes back, eh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, well, you, that's my machine. I was like, you weren't here. There's, and normally when you have a machine, you tilt the chair, right? You yeah. tilt the chair, no tilted chair, no chair at all. And, and so I look at the receipts like, oh, sure enough, there's $20 on the machine. So I give him his $20 back. It did not assuage him at all. He was very, <laughs> he was very upset with me. And I, I, what did he say and do it in his voice? Uh, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? That's my machine. And, uh, cocksucker. That's, that's what he said when I left. So, I mean, this, this, this episode. So did he know you were from the wrestling business? I, I think he did because he it was a lot more familiar of a interaction. <laughs> yeah. You don't drop the sea sucker word. Yeah. If you, if you don't think you know the guy Exa- right exactly especially a much he would have been probably 75 at the time yeah like this is two or three years ago for sure so and yeah so like he's pick, like oh my word and i'm glad he did not remember when he came in because i was that was the one thing when you said tony's coming to the studio yeah, now he'd know your house i was like oh he's gonna beat the <laughs> out of me right in my own you're studio. the first guy ever worried about an 80 year old kicking ass hey man tony condell can still get it done there you go i don't care what anybody says okay next question 
All right, next question is coming in. From Better not be Jane and me mistake it for my mother again. No, just simple old Don. Callus? Could be. Could, or it could be Donovan Danhausen. Ooh, your favorite. Um, this one, he asks, what is the strangest talent request you've ever had? Now, I'm guessing he's talking about things like, uh, like you, you've heard Led Zeppelin or other bands asking for brown M&Ms and stuff like that. Have you ever had any strange talent requests, like as a part of a rider, for example? I don't know if you have riders in, in wrestling. I'm going to need a minute. Take um, a minute. Uh, play background music through this. Uh, who would be my... It would probably be a local who asked for something that was really inopportune. Um, I've had weird ones where guys would come up to me and kind of say, like, listen, I've got some family coming. You know, can I go over? And it's like, yeah, we can make that. You mentioned Teddy Hart and the shoes, too. That's pretty strange. Yeah, his request... I rem- Okay, here's a good one. It was the last WFX show we ever did, and it was Raven was supposed to come in, and I ended up loving Raven, but the night before I did not. And he was flying in from Atlanta, and I think he was, I think he flew in the day of, which was a disaster. But so the, I think the show was on a Friday, so the Thursday night, I'm at the studio doing something, and I get the call from Raven, and I pick it up, and he's like, "Hey, Mike, I can't do a Raven imitation," and he's like. Uh, you got a lot of talent on the show. You probably got enough. I, if you, if it's all the same, I I'll just sit out and I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, like you don't really need me. And I'll I'll just stay, I'll just stay at home. And I'm like, no, I got you advertised in the main event. The show is called a conflict of interest to the extreme. You are in a triangle match against you, Shane Douglas and, and, um, uh, just incredible. I think I need you. Well, they can just wrestle a singles match. No. <laughs> I said, uh, no, I need you to come. I bought you an airfare for a reason. Oh, okay. Well, since you put it like that and you need me, I, I guess I'll be there. Like, I'm like, what? In, and he's like, well, no, I, I kind of wasn't feeling well. And he, he tried to downplay yeah. it. Like, it was one of the weirdest phone calls I ever got. Thank God he called me and just didn't sh- no show. But yeah, that one was pretty bad. Um, he did show? Oh yeah, he yeah. showed, and he was great. The next day, we're uh, the next day he needed to get to Fargo to go home because we flew him out of Fargo, cheaper flight. So I did go pick him up at seven o'clock in the morning, and he's not a he's not a morning guy. And so we're riding, and he's like, uh, "You married?" And I, I was like, "No," but at the time I was hung up on this girl, the love of my life. I hadn't talked to her for over a year and a half, and I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm in love with this girl, but I you know I, I can't get her." He's like. I'm worried about you. You need a psychiatrist. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, well, like you're telling me, you obviously weren't happy with this girl and you're telling me you want to not be happy in life. You actually need a psychiatrist. Like I'm legitimately worried about you. You're a good guy. You could probably get any girl, you, you know, you get a good girl, but you want this girl that obviously do- hasn't talked to you in a long time because she does not want you. And you're telling me that's all you want in life. Uh, you need a psychiatrist. And for like, I would bet about an hour of the trip, he just kept saying, like, you see, you should seriously consider going to see a psychiatrist. That and sounds I was like, he's been down that road or something. I was like, I make one comment, and now you think I'm like that I need a psychiatrist. But he's like, no, man, you're a great guy. I just, I'm worried about you. And so it might be Raven's rib, because a couple of years later, he was wrestling on a show, and Brian Rich was on the show. And Brian Rich said something in front of Raven where he said, oh, I'm worried about strobe lights because I have a seizure if I look at them. And, and apparently Raven said, I'm worried about you. You, you have to get out of wrestling immediately because the whole business is strobe lights and you're going to be sitting there seizuring every single show you're on. Like you, I'm really worried about you. He kept saying to him. So it was similar to what he said to me. Was he, I think it's was a, rib. He a rib. Yeah. I was just going to say, is if he, he's is a, a rib or he's very subtle about it. Yeah. Like, cause he's very believable and he doesn't let you off the hook. So he, he was a very subtle river, but the whole time he talked about like, I'd met him a couple times that year and only worked with him the once. And he kept saying, uh, I know you're looking for a booker. Uh, you should call Kevin Sullivan. He'll tell you that I'm ready to be a booker or that I should be your, your booker. I want to be your booker. And I was like, uh, okay, Scotty, like, okay, we can talk. No, no, I'll, I'll be at the next TV and I'll be your booker. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> like, I'll just be your booker. Yeah, he, he tried the assumptive close, right? Like, yeah. you know how always be closing. He tried the assumptive close. If you tell me it's going to be that way, I'm just going to accept it because I'm not going to, 
I'm, I'm not going to tell you differently. So that was my experience with Raven. Wow. That would be the one that I remember as being the most stressful. Raven almost becoming the booker of WFX. What could We were out of business. What so could have been? He, he Effectively, he was the last booker because I don't think I told him no. And I did book the last show, but he was taking over the next show. So, All right, there you go. You heard it here. Raven is still technically the booker of WFX. And it's never seen better business. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post. And the rumper bumper butt butt delivered by the Ice Man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Erics can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R A S S L I N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights. They were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?